And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Starkville. Baseball Hall of Famer Jason Stark. And then the robot said, strike. That's why you're going in the Hall of Fame. It's an inside the park home run. Doug Glanville. Mike Trout is coffee. At Starbucks with a double latte, skinny. Doug, are you ready to make some podcast magic? I am ready. Bring on the magic wand. Let's do it. (laughs) Greetings and welcome to Starkville, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Also, check out the Athletic Baseball Show all this week. So much great baseball talk four days a week. And that includes us, of course, every Tuesday. So let me introduce myself. I'm Jason Stark. I write about baseball for the Athletic. And I'm joined once again by my good friend, writer, broadcaster, professor, distinguished former major leaguer, Doug Lanville. And Doug, I know you've been doing a lot of driving this week. Just wondering if you saw Joe West on the side of the road trying to pull you over to inspect your belt or your cap. Uh, I did not. The The good news is uh, now I've entered well, I've entered the land of hybrid vehicles, which I've actually had before. And it was so beautiful to go from like Virginia to Connecticut on like less one tank of gas. Not even like you couldn't stop me. I could have literally driven to Pluto and made it no problem. So we need a sponsor of hybrid cars on this show. I think they'd, I'd be a very good, big fan of it. Yes. <laughs> right. Well, if you had driven all the way to Pluto, we, you would definitely need, have needed to get your cap. Inspected. <laughs> this is true. And <laughs> you know, I say that because uh, Doug, we made it through inspection week in baseball. And that means a couple of things. Uh, great reason to have Andrew Miller on the show, one of the smartest players in baseball. Uh, and give us a better understanding how we got into this mess and where we're going to go with it. But it also gives me a chance to ask you what you thought as you watched all these inspections of all these pitchers over the past week, over a thousand inspections mm. by the umpires and one ejection. Of Hector Santiago, of all people. Now, think of all the big-name pitchers people have speculated about or gotten obsessed over their spin rates about, and who gets caught? <laughs> Hector Santiago. <laughs> Doug, your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know, it's it's like the the elite, if they are doing something outside the rules, they, they also have a very skilled ability to not be caught, right? Um, and, or they just say, okay, I'm going to see what happens. I mean, you know, I think that it sort of reminds me of the story era a little bit that some players were indignant, not because they weren't cheating, but because there might've been some period of time they were successful without using PEDs. So they're kind of indignant saying, no, I am this good. I just, you know, 
they're not going to acknowledge it, but they just sort of see it as a choice, right? To kind of keep the edge. It wasn't the, their inherent talent. So, you know, you know, when, and when you think of the game of shadows, these kind of things, you realize that a lot of times uh, what I applaud about baseball is trying to create something universal as rules because a lot of times the fall guys in these type of situations aren't the top pitchers. And I'm sure Santiago, we'll see what happens and more information comes in. I'm sure he's aware of any superstar players that he's played with, against, or whatever is doing what. I'm sure he knows unequivocally whether they get caught or not. So that's the other problem you have is that when someone goes down, they're going to look around and say, do you really think I'm the only one? And, you know, and if you want to get the, the weight of the law against you and the, the consequences, it's it's kind of frustrating. So, you know, so we'll see. Um, I, one thing that I noted, like a Max Scherzer, right, with the Philadelphia Phillies, with Girardi and their drawing back and forth, is that it's interesting to see which pitchers are, are going to be like indignant about it. And I think there's, it, it's sort of, an, it, to me, it's an example of, what it feels like when you're innocent and know you're not breaking the law or breaking the rules and still get sort of stopped, detained, checked, not trusted, all those things. Uh, it, it sort of is a little bit of a window on that preemptive aspect of, like you said, we got to stop people because we have to assume this baseline that people might be doing something, right? And so you have to buy into a system that has to have legitimacy itself to feel like, yes, okay, I'm doing this for this sort of greater good, and I want it to be fair across the board. So that's going to be one of the challenges I'm, I'm going to find interesting, like when someone gets some serious consequences, sort of what happens. And uh, But you know, I think the overall they felt it was successful, and I understand why they have to do it. Um, but it's a it's a new day in baseball for sure. Yeah, well, look, we you know we, we've got enough data now to know this has had an impact. I, I'll you know say the numbers till Andrew Miller comes on, but it, it uh, we've had a big chunk of the pitching population whose spin rates are down, some of them way down, and offensive numbers have gone up. So I don't know how many people were actually trying to get away with anything over the last week. But as I mentioned, we'll be talking with Andrew Miller about all this in a few minutes. Although I use that term we loosely <laughs> because the rumor is Doug is too busy meeting with Congress or mowing his lawn <laughs> or something to be part of that chat with Andrew. But I don't want you to worry, my friend. I will put this team on my back for that. Yes. yes. I plan to do the same for the trivia. So <laughs> We, we will we will carry this team well. <laughs> okay. All right. That, that's, that's a deal. Uh, look, before we get to Andrew Miller, uh, I have a fun piece in The Athletic that we just have to talk about. Um, my friends in the game have been egging me on, uh, saying we shouldn't be calling these extra inning runners that just magically appear on second base ghost runners. <laughs> and their, their reasoning's good. Uh, a, they're real people, <laughs> which is a good point. B, ghost runners back when we were kids were just imaginary runners that we put on the bases because we're playing three-on-three -three wiffle ball or something, and we would run out of real runners, so we would have ghost runners. So, Doug, I want to get some ideas from you about what we should call these guys, but uh, let me run through a few of the wild suggestions from our friends in broadcast booths across this land. Here we go. Uh, the Rosie Ruiz. Why is that? Because once upon a time in the marathon, she started halfway to the finish line. <laughs> the uh, 
the Ruben Rivera. Uh, it's a tribute to uh, inexplicable base running. If we've ever seen it, inexplicable base running. Uh, the runner of shame. What's the shame? He's only out there because he was out last week. <laughs> Lazarus runner. Uh, Lazarus came back from the dead. <laughs> the only problem with that, I like it. Uh, the alternate meaning of Lazarus is a diseased beggar. So there's some issues there. The E.T. Uh, that started out as the E.I. I thought E.T. was better because he's trying to get home. You know, yeah, I like uh, it. <laughs> the social like it. The social distance head start. That's one for our times, right? You need an acronym for that one, though. Uh, uh, then, okay, let's start getting into the more, I shouldn't say serious, but I let the, the, these are the finalists, okay? I lumped these three together, but they're they're not exciting enough for me. Gift runner, free runner, mystery runner. Okay, they're not bad. The zombie runner. Uh, that's uh, That's gotten a lot of votes. <laughs> Uh, there's quite a few broadcasters using that one. Poznanski uses it in the athletic all the time. So zombie runners really good. Uh, way better than ghost. It's more accurate. Zombie, uh, they're semi-human, I guess. Right. Now, see, zombie runners are reanimated humans. <laughs> Ghosts are not re like they don't really appear. You have to imagine them. We had the rerunner. I like that. <laughs> this is a Jim Deshaies one. I like it. It's just, it's really good. It just reruns are not as much of a thing as they were once upon a time, but the rerunner is really good. And then I did a Twitter poll. This one is so far running away with the Twitter poll. The Manfred Man. <laughs> this is from Joe Luckhop from the Reds. And uh, it's really good. It, it's a play on the, the old, what was that, 60s, 70s rock? Band Manfred Mann spelled a little different, but uh, that that's getting massive support. I, I'm I'm afraid to even really ask the reason. <laughs> the okay, those those are the finalists. Doug, you like any of those? And yeah, what, I really, what would you suggest? I mean, yeah, I mean Manfred Mann is tough in the political aspect, but I, I I that's that's funny. I mean, I think of Running Man, the movie Richard Dawson with Schwarzenegger. That was a classic. Yeah. Um, yeah. Rerunner. Yeah. Hilarious. Uh, yeah. The zombie. Perfect. Uh, yeah. You got to think marketing. So I, I, I think they have to weigh that, of course. Look, when I think of this, I think space and the future. So for me, I, I can't help but get into my space realm. Uh, so, well, the other aspect is cloning. We have to think about cloning. So I don't know if you can combine the word clone and runner and you have a cloner or a cloner, uh, but there's something to do with actually copying a person and putting them on second base. Uh, I think of Spock. Why can't we call him the, the Spock? You know, just thinking of teleportation, Star Trek, how do you appear? You know, I already did Harry Potter, so I'm going to go to Star Trek. There's a lot of Trekkies out there, <laughs> so you can call him a Trekkie if you want. There's something about an illusion. So maybe we capture like a Copperfield runner or, you know, yeah. something like a, a Mirage like a mirage runner. He's there, but he's not really there. And then if he scores, you're happy. But if he doesn't, you're looking for the first chance to drink some water because you're so thirsty. Um, <laughs> and maybe there's something with eclipse. Like, you know, you think of solar and lunar eclipses. There is a runner. You don't really see him until the sun moves or the, you know, or we move or the earth. Or, and then all of a sudden he scores. All of a sudden you realize that there's another planet there, right? So, exoplanet runners yeah so i'm in the space thing I, I think they're all good i like manfred man i don't know if it's going to politically go well 
Yeah, I mean, your, your, your choices are really good. Um, so I have one Twitter poll up there. Yeah. Uh, people also voting in the comments section of my column in The Athletic. Mm-hmm. But maybe you should do your own Twitter poll of your ideas and we can see what comes out of it. Uh, I'm, one thing I'm, I've learned uh, in the last 24 hours, people have many ideas <laughs> out there uh, because, of course, they do. Of course. Uh, but you know what? There are ideas and then there are Doug Glanville ideas. Yes, so. yes. We should get back to this next week. We visit it. Should be fun. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, it's time to welcome in this week's very special visitor to Starkville. It's one of baseball's very best relievers over the last decade. And a man who has proved that there's more to being a great reliever than just accumulating saves. It's Andrew Miller of the Cardinals. Andrew, thanks so much for joining us, man. Of course, yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, Unfortunately, uh, Doug is a busy guy, so I'm afraid you're going to be stuck with just me today. Uh, But but feel free to give Doug as much abuse over that as possible next time you see him, okay? Will do, absolutely. (laughs) All right. So, so Andrew, one of the reasons that you're the perfect guest this week is because I I know how involved you are with the Players Union, and it's been quite a week, right? So over the first seven days of what I've been calling Inspection Week, 888 pitchers have appeared to game. So if I'm doing the math right, that means umpires have been doing somewhere in the neighborhood of like 150 inspections of pitchers a day. I know you had a couple yourself. So first off, just tell us what it was like to be walking off the mound and find that umpire roadblock waiting for you in your way to the dugout. Uh, yeah, I think for us, for our team, it, it actually went pretty smoothly. We had Joe West, uh, of course, you know, we get the Cowboy for the first one. Yeah, and uh, we did, we met with him prior to the game and kind of went over, you know, just what to expect. Well, while this is still, there's so much unknown. I think any communication we can have to just see what to expect. We're not asking them to treat us any differently than they've been told or to, you know, adjust the the system that they have been given by MLB in order to, to check for substances, but just to, to make it, you know, make the transition as seamlessly as possible. And I think so far, at least in the games I've been a part of, we've seen that. I think that communication's helped a lot. Well, good to hear. Now, how would you describe Joe's approach when he inspected you? Now, I, like, I can't imagine knowing Joe that he approached this like just another traffic cop snagged some dude who went three miles an hour over the speed limit. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, Joe's definitely, he's all business. Uh, unfortunately, I just given up a run. So I, I kind of joked with him that, you know, this is not the time I want to see you because we had, <laughs> had that conversation earlier in the day that 
I think that's one of the, you know, one of the fears umpires have, and it makes a lot of sense is you, you catch a guy on a bad day in a bad mood. And, um, you know, hopefully players are respectful. I think that, you know, generally across the board, that won't be a problem, but you know, it was pretty, pretty easy. I think they checked my hat, my belt and my glove. And, you know, it, it takes about 20 seconds, nothing to really, you know, slow you down, doesn't prevent you from getting to the dugout and, you know, rushing towards the next inning or anything like that. Yeah. So, I mean, can you just tell us how that conversation went? I mean, especially with Joe, he wasn't, he didn't burst into song or anything, right? No, no. I mean, I literally, I think the first thing I said to him was, come on, Joe. I mean, I just gave up a run. You're the last person I want to see right now. But um, I think, you know, everybody's going to handle it differently. Obviously we saw a couple incidents where, you know, maybe the players weren't as, you know, excited about going over the process. Um, but, you know, we all have our own personalities and styles. And like I said, I think ultimately I think we'll get used to this and it'll be the type of thing that just becomes second nature. Uh, I do hope eventually we kind of move on from it, but you know, for now, this is what we've got. Yeah. Now what a coincidence that you wind up with Joe West crew, the very first game when these inspections started, because just a few weeks ago, uh, you also had Joe and his crew and there was a situation involving one of your bullpen amigos, Giovanni Gallegos, and his cap. So uh, let's listen to it, and then I'd love to hear your take on what happened that night. You know what? Joe West was looking at something maybe on the glove of Gallegos, Mike Schilt's coming back, and maybe it's the bill of his cap, and he throws out Schilt. Schilt's leaving. Joe West <laughs> broke the record yesterday for most games umpire, and now he's adding to his ejection total. Schilt is irate. And I think maybe he's telling him to change gloves or change hats. Yeah, he was. Uh, Andrew, were you you watching when that took place? And what did you think? I was. And I think that, you know, it kind of goes to show, you know, how difficult the communication's been and getting to this point. But I think Joe thought, and and rightfully so, he was helping our pitcher out by, I, I guess, you know, having a conversation with him later on. He, you know, he he and some of the other crew members saw the hat and saw something that was flagged. And and the the thought was, if we get rid of the hat before he throws a pitch, we won't have any controversy. Well, of course, you know, that might've been one of the sparks to why, you know, we kind of rushed into this system of, you know, foreign substance checks. But ultimately I think, you know, Joe's one of those guys, he's been around forever and he's, you know, he he plays it by the book and um, you know, it, it definitely probably, kind of blew up into something maybe he didn't quite think was going to get to that point but you know the umpires have a job to do and if anything you know I think we have to appreciate that he was helping our players stay in the game at least you know from the Cardinals standpoint that rather than give something that you know potentially could be a problem um, you know the counter that would be that you know so many guys for so long have had you know a, a smudge on their hat or rosin or whatever it is you know, use the same hat you know some guys for years um, but it is what it is, and uh, I think, you know, ultimately, you know, Joe is trying to protect the player. Yeah, and, you know, that approach was interesting. Uh, first off, it, like, this was weeks before <laughs> this rule actually went into effect. And, uh, and, and two, um, the idea of telling the pitcher, hey, go, just go get a new cap rather than ejecting them, suspending them, uh, acting like th- this is some congressional inquiry – um, it, it felt very reasonable. I, I, I know people are thinking, well, especially by Joe West standards, but wh- like, why do we have to eject everybody and suspend everybody? Why can't we do it that way? Well, I think, you know, so the way this whole, I'm sure we'll dig into it on multiple levels, but 
the way this thing came down the line is the reality is we're midseason and MLB felt like something had to be done. And there's a rule on the books. It, it, changing a rule midseason, I don't know if there's any precedent for that. And ultimately, that was what the easiest thing for MLB to do was, is just go with the rule in the books. And the, the rule about foreign substances is very clear. Um, so the the ability to be reasonable and say, oh, that's nothing, or that's, you know, a little bit of sunscreen because it's a day game, or, you know, we've heard all these different, you know, mixtures and, and why somebody would be, you know, rubbing their hand here or there or whatever. The reason that we have to go full crackdown from MLB's perspective is that it's just so hard to distinguish. And then the rule is very clear. It's, you know, it's literally nothing on your hand other than, rosin and sweat and something that you know naturally comes to your body you can lick your fingers and you're supposed to wipe them off afterwards so i think while joe is trying to be reasonable and while ultimately that might maybe somewhere we land uh for now that's just not reality and, and not the way mlb saw fit to you know try to enforce this rule yeah well you use that word reasonable a lot so uh, <laughs> why don't we do this <laughs> why don't what i know there's been a lot of ranting and raving and hot takes about this stuff but I'd like to have an actual thoughtful conversation about the whole situation. And you're, you know, you're such a thoughtful guy. Uh, this feels like it's right up your alley. That, that sounds like a good approach to you. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. I know you can do this, man. Uh, let, let's start with this. Uh, as I said, um, 150 inspections a day for a week. And that's over a thousand inspections total. And we've had one ejection. That was Sunday, Hector Santiago of the Mariners uh, for having what the umpire said was sticky stuff on his glove. Uh, what does that tell you? Um, I think we got to see the fallout first. I can't speak for, you know, what actually happened out there. Uh, I, I did see some of Hector's postgame comments that, you know, he is standing by the fact that it was just rosin and sweat and, Rosin and sweat definitely gives you tech. Uh, I think guys are, you know, there's certainly guys transitioning maybe from using something and trying to find a way to make the rosin as sticky as possible, but it does create that little bit of tech and umpires aren't looking for substances. They're looking for sticky and there's a distinction there. They're not trying to distinguish whether or not this is sunscreen or we've all found out what spider tech is lately or pine tar to them. It doesn't matter if it's maple syrup. It's the reality is it's just, if it's sticky or not, and, you know, I mentioned earlier that, you know, we've been trying to have as many conversations as possible with umpires is that's kind of the fear of players is that, you know, you get an ejection for not doing anything wrong. You know, this is something that, you know, he's in the news. I, I doubt the he feels like being in the news or having to fight this if this is truly just a case of, sun, of just rosin and sweat. But here we are. And I think a lot of players were certainly, you know, fearful of, you know, some sort of, you know, misidentification of something that's a, a foreign illegal substance. And, uh, you know, it just puts everybody in a bind. It's a really hard thing to deal with. It's really hard to deal with. And I, I've heard a lot of people weighing in on whether umpires uh, have had enough training in what they're looking for um, to be qualified to be to be doing this. How do you feel about whether the umpires should be conducting these inspections so many different times and nights, every single pitcher who comes out of a game. Yeah, I think it's the, the system was not designed by the players or by the umpires. I think that's pretty clear. Uh, the system was designed by Major League Baseball, and, and I kind of touched on a little bit earlier. That's just the reality of a midseason, you know, decision to enforce something like this or to, to go out and, and, and look for this. 
who else, who better than the umpires to do it? So I understand why you choose them. Uh, I, I don't know that I'm a huge fan of the on the field spectacle type of style. I don't know. I guess I, I need to go watch what happened out in Seattle, right? It was where Hector is this year. Um, and see, you know, part of it makes me kind of feel like it's a, I don't know, like imagine being on the road and them tossing a player and the crowd going wild or something like that. I, you know, we ought to be able to do it back in a tunnel, but um, yeah, I, I can't say I have a better system, but I would like to think that we could all work together to come up with a better system. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, let, let's get to that, but I, I want to run through some of the other numbers. Uh, let's see what we make of those. So it was June 5th when players first heard reports that baseball was going to go down this road. And the league batting average before June 5th was 236. Since then, 243. So it's up a pretty significant amount. Strikeout rate before June 5th was 24.1%. Since then, 23.5%. So down significantly. Now, I, I know it's a small sample, but... Tell me what you make of those numbers. I think they're real. I can't deny them. I, I think that, you know, we we have been in a game where pitching has just gotten so much better. And I think it's a result of the analytics, the technology, the the style of pitching. And I have, you know, personally, you know, my feeling is that I think some of this, you know, we, we used to operate in a gray area with, you know, you, you guys, you hear a lot of people fighting for sunscreen raws and or a little bit of attack or this or that. And I think that, the boundaries of that may have be may have been pushed a little bit too far, and I think now that we have the data, you know, we can tell. And you know, you're you're going to numbers as a result, but there's also you know the number of times I've heard you know the phrase spin rate lately is uh, <laughs> pretty pretty uh, mind blowing. But the reality is, I think that you know pitchers have been able to throw pitches that are just like nothing we've ever seen before. And, and if that's a result of something of maybe that gray area being pushed a little too far, then um, you know, the, the balance of the game could shift a little bit if you take it away. There's no doubt. Yeah, this is exactly the issue. Um, you know, it really is incredible how much people talk about spin rate now <laughs> compared to like two years ago even, right? And uh, it's obvious. Now, spin rates are down. Um, about one-third of all pitchers in the big leagues have seen their spin rates decline fairly significantly uh, just over the last week or two. Um after the Joe West, Giovanni Gallego thing, uh, your manager, Mike Schilt, called sticky stuff baseball's dirty little secret. Um, and I even heard you in an interview uh, a week or so ago say this was something that needs to be addressed. So was it baseball's dirty little secret? And how do you feel about what was addressed and how? Uh, let's start with the, the secret part. I guess maybe it used to be a secret. And like I said, I, I think we've seen a trend towards maybe, you know, I don't want to call it an abuse, but, you know, maybe using new substances or designing, you know, particular substances that will make your pitches do this or that. But I think the reality is the world we live in with social media, with the access to, you know, video to the access to analytics, you know, it, it's no longer just the eye test. And, you know, there's, you know, fans and, and, you know, reporters like yourself can go look up what a, you know, somebody's spin rate was last night. You can, you know, get a video clip and post it on Twitter of a guy, you know, touching the brim of his hat and maybe it's a tick, maybe it's where he's got something, you know, that to help him with his grip. So I think the reality is we used to maybe talk about it as players. It might, might've been more of a secret, but, 
it, it became public. And I think that was the reaction that MLB had and, and why they felt this was so urgent. And I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, that once it becomes something that's a, a distraction from us, you know, putting the best game on the field, the best product on the field, that's the reality of what we are. That's not good for any of us. It's not good for the players. It's not good for the owners. It's, it's not good for the teams, the fans feel like maybe the, the playing field is uneven. And I guess that would be kind of where I come in on the whole, you know, Schultz comments about the secret and then where I'm at on why it's necessary to address it is um, we just want a level playing field. I, I don't want players to feel like they have to make some sort of decision. That's, you know, a moral ethical dilemma to compete at this level. I want everybody to go out and feel like this is a chance to show that, you know, your, your ability to pitch at this level is what's going to keep you here and, and, you know, get you paid and get you, you know, to have a chance to compete in the playoffs and potentially win a world series as opposed to maybe having to, you know, worry about what the rule book interpretation is of something that you're doing. So a, a level playing field, I think for everybody, whether it's hitters and pitchers discussing pitchers and pitchers discussing, or, you know, team to team is incredibly important for us as, you know, as baseball to have absolutely, you know, transparent and, and, and truthful that the playing field is level. Yeah. And when, when you talk about the level playing field and when you talk about how this is something that needs to be addressed, um, like where do we draw the line? Um, I think everybody agrees spider tack is over that line. <laughs> Rosin and sweat are under that line. Is there some middle ground? Does there need to be some middle ground? You know, I don't know. I, I, there's been a lot of debate on that. So I, I, I'm confident that a baseball can be thrown, uh, can be thrown hard, can be thrown with spin, with absolutely nothing on your hand, without even rosin. Uh, you know, I am also confident that the baseballs seem to change on a regular basis and that they are hard to grip. It, you know, the, the minor league balls, uh, I believe in AAA, maybe AA as well, are – pretty much major league baseballs now but it used yeah. to be when you got called up the baseball that you saw in the major leagues was so different than anything you'd ever held it's no wonder guys went looking for something just to hold on to it because it is slippery it, it is you know and, and it can vary from stadium to stadium depending on how they're rubbed up and year to year or even you know inning to inning on the way that the seams feel the leather feels in your hand so i can appreciate all those you know variables and why you know why guys go looking for something. I, and I think, uh, you know, I think Garrett maybe talked about it quite a bit about, you know, something being passed down from, you know, generation of player to player. And, you know, there's no doubt that, that when you, when you come to the major leagues, it used to be, you see what, you know, maybe some of the tricks that the older veterans were using or, you know, what your eyes were kind of open to it on, you know, how to use that rosin and, and, and maybe, you know, that sunscreen or something like that. So there's also a reality to that, but to your point, I think that's in that gray area. You know, we can all accept where spider tech is or whatever some of these other substances are. But going back to an earlier point, how do you police it? How do you, and I think that's where MLB just decided to kind of go with the the hard and clear line. Uh, again, I think we should be able to communicate on this and deal with it. But the fact they thought it was so urgent, it just wasn't going to happen mid-season, um, you know, that we're going to decide this is okay and this is not. So instead they just went with the cold turkey approach and nothing's okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you on that. And I, I, Again, I want to circle back to that particular issue, but since you brought up the baseball, we know that the baseball changed this season. 
Is the baseball more slippery? Is it more difficult to grip this season in particular? Heard a lot of complaints about that. Um, I don't, I can't say this with certainty. I know that there was an announcement that the baseball was going to change. Uh, but I believe that in most instances, we're still using baseballs that were manufactured in prior seasons. So we don't really know. I think somewhere on the inside of the leather is a code that tells you, you know, you can decipher what year or where it was made or whatever. I don't know that we've fully seen those balls in play yet. And I think that's one of the challenging things is obviously there's, you know, old inventory and I'm sure major league baseball wants to use it up. It's just, it, it's amazing. Again, going back to the data that we have that how small of a change in the baseball is affecting, you know, how the ball flies or how you're able to, you know, command it when you pitch it or how you're able to spin it as a pitcher. And it, it just does, doesn't, doesn't take much. I mean, a ball that goes to the track, on one baseball is 10 rows up with another baseball, potentially that's, that's wild. And, um, you know, I think, again, it's one of those things that until we had the the data, the spin rates and the launch angles and all to go measure how far things went and why they went that distance, it just kind of was what it was. But now that we have that information, it, it's hard to reconcile, you know, the variation of the baseball. Yeah. Great point. And, you know, it's the fact that we do have so much information and teams have so much information that in in some ways I think may have weaponized some of this. And, and you touched on that in that interview I heard you, that I heard last week where you said that if baseball finds that certain teams have institutionalized this, they should be severely punished. So tell me what you meant by that. So I think I, I kind of was getting there in an earlier part. I feel like we keep circling back and forth. This is such a you know, complicated <laughs> issue, but so I live in Tampa in the off season. I go to a gym that has everything from major league baseball players that are veterans, you know, like myself and, you know, Denard Spann worked out there forever to guys that are getting their feet wet, to guys that are prospect to guys that are in college, to guys that are in high school. And I don't think it's fair for those young guys to come up in a situation where they either, especially where they've been told to do something or, you know, where they feel like this is what it takes to compete. Um, and if your team is telling you that, this is what is expected of you. This is how we expect you to pitch. And then you have maybe some sort of hesitation because you think this is over the line or this is breaking a rule that you're not comfortable with. That puts you in a really bad position. And I don't think as a player that that's a fair place to be. So I would like to think that if, you know, a, a team is teaching that, that that's frowned upon, that that's something that is punished. And then on the other note is, you know, we're the Cardinals. Say that a team in our division, you know, has been abusing this and they've been using spider tack or something. And we missed the playoffs by a game or two. And, you know, going back to the data, you know, I'm sure somebody can tell you what the, you know, the, the win expectancy is of making your pitchers all, you know, X amount better. And, you know, that would be pretty, you know, crushing to feel like you lost to a team that across the board was doing something that maybe you wasn't doing. And uh, you know, the reality is that goes back just to the level playing field. I think we all want that. And, you know, if that if those boundaries were being pushed as far as maybe they had been, it was time to reel them in because you know that playing field was not as level as it should be. Yes, yeah, so uh, this is another fascinating point. I, I I think we probably agreed that there were some teams that institutionalized this, that were doing it in mass, and yet, as 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 I said, in a week of these inspections, you only had one pitcher ejected. Um, is it too late for baseball to deal with teams that may have been institutionalizing 
spider tech or something similar? I mean, I would like to think if any, you know, coach or front office was, you know, leaning on this as something to make their pitchers better, they would have adjusted by now. We've had fair warning. Uh, I don't know whether the right thing to do is to go back and, you know, look for past transgressions and, and punish those or not. But I think we've all had plenty of warning now. Um, that's kind of why I'm surprised by, you know, Hector Santiago getting ejected. And part of why I, I tend to, you know, certainly believe him is, I think Max said the same thing in his uh, his shakedown the other night was that <laughs> I would be, you know, I, I'm not not dumb enough to go out there and have something on my glove or in my hair or something right now. We all know, you know, it's been pretty transparent that this is coming. Um, so, again, I don't have the answers. I do think that when something is dealt with on the field, you know, usually the, the best results, the best solutions come with, you know, generally heavy player involvement. Uh, and in a case like this, we're asking the umpires to deal with it, heavy umpire involvement, because, you know, you need buy-in from these two groups. You know, I, I think that the umpires would buy in a lot more, certainly if they had more say rather than, you know, just being sent to video or whatnot. But again, just the challenges of addressing this mid-season and, and MLB is within their rights to decide that this is important and needs to, you know, we got to do something now as, as soon as possible but just the challenges that go along with that. So my hope is that we get through this. It certainly seems like it's having an effect to the point of your statistics earlier. And, you know, we can come up with a solution that makes the most sense to everybody, you know, maybe as uh, the, the off season kind of winds down. Yeah. Well, since you brought up Max, uh, you know, I was part of Max's post game zoom session the other night and it was something, man. Um, and let, let's let's just listen to what happened that night when Max was on the mound because that too was something. They're gonna check Max here in the middle of an inning. Oh, anything to try to throw somebody off their game. And Davey rightfully coming out to protect his guy to see what's going on here. Max just hey, jumps what, everything. What did they he expect? Max drops his hat, and Carlos uh, Torres is gonna get mad at him. This is in the middle of an inning after you struck a guy out. And it was initiated by the other manager. If I'm Davey, I'm not standing for this at all. And now Girardi's going to come out and become a bigger part of it. I mean, if they allow this to happen, well, there goes you could have a guy throwing a no-hitter and a manager could come out and have him checked in the ninth inning. Yeah, and there goes your pace of play. Yeah, Bob Carpenter's point was right on. How do you feel about managers like Joe Girardi having the right to ask to have a pitcher inspected in the middle of an inning? That's always been there, right? They just haven't really done it, isn't I mean, that's the way it was, you know, I guess historically, at least from the umpire perspective, enforced was the manager was the one that was supposed to mention it. Otherwise, they kind of, unless it was just so egregious, they, you know, even I, I was in Boston for the Michael Pineda event. That was still, you know, John Farrell had to basically ask for it. Um, you know, I think part of it is, you know, certainly, you know, Max's demeanor on the mound, I think is, is just, you know, he's as intense as anybody out there. And you, you couple that with, you know, I, he, he and I have spoken about this quite a bit. Um, you know, it's not exactly his favorite thing. And then to, you know, in the middle of his, you know, extreme focus and intensity to, to challenge what he's doing. I, I'm not surprised it ended up that way, but, you know, I think it just goes to show how tough this is. I mean, I, you know, Joe Girardi is one of my, you know, one of the people I'm so glad I got to play for one of my favorite people. And, 
you know, I understand where he's coming from. I understand where Max is coming from. I understand why the umpire is upset that the hat's on the ground. You know, I, I think that it just goes to show the position that, you know, that we're in. And you know, I would think that, you know, really the perspective that we've been put in and, and maybe, you know, depending on the umpire, or the player you talk to kind of against our will and, you know, with a disagreement about the system and, and you end up with a situation like that. Yeah, and you you've brought this up too. Um, Uh-oh. Look, you have said you have said this has to be addressed. Garrett Cole, you mentioned him, another really thoughtful guy, has said that players and MLB are really aligned in this in a lot of ways. And so his plea to Major League Baseball was talk to us, work with us. It sounds like you want the same thing. So is that still possible now that we've already started in these inspections? I hope so. I you know, there, there's discussions about doing something to the baseball to make it, you know, easier to control or command. And, and there, there is a player safety issue to this, I, whether it's, you know, you worry about batters getting hit, particularly in the, you know, head and neck area, whether it's, you know, the ability for pitchers to throw enough strikes to make the game competitive, whatever, um, or a, a universal substance that we, you know, agree with that, you know, maybe doesn't allow you to create, you know, pitches that are have abnormal spin rates or whatever, you know, whatever the, the, the data people figure out. But uh, I do think we need to, you know, communicate on this. And, I, and that includes the umpires. I, I, I'd like to think that, you know, maybe the, the spectacle of the pat down on the field is a little unnecessary. Um, you know, that's not anything that we had input on. And I think that's a little bit frustrating because uh, players, you know, it, it is emotional. You are, you have a shot of adrenaline when you're out there on the mound and to, to deal with that, whether it's a, you know, coming off a high or a low, it, it could be a challenge. And I can, you know, sympathize with that. Um, I think the umpires would probably have much greater buy-in and, and do, a, I don't want to say a more thorough job, but maybe be more successful and, and more, you know, efficient at it if they help design the system. They know what it's like to be on the field. They know what players are like. Who better to ask, you know, what's the best way to go about this than the umpires? And I think when you don't have that communication uh it allows everybody to kind of be frustrated with the situation they've been thrust into look i get why this is happening you know the reason it is happening is clear you just laid it out um my my big question um i'm not just asking this for for the first time is um it didn't just start happening this year we've we've known it's been happening so what you just described um this big summit major league baseball pitchers umpires players why wasn't there an effort before this season for everybody to say all right we've gone too far we need to solve it this way let's get our heads together and actually talk and do that rather than have to go to this TSA inspections in the middle of a season. I think there's a couple of things. I think it definitely, the, the, the wild West aspect of it kind of picked up the last couple, four or five years, whatever. Uh, and then I, we like to blame everything on COVID, right? I, I think that the reality is, you know, Chris Young is now general manager or president for the Rangers. When he was in the major league, baseball offices my understanding is that this was something that was kind of on his desk and that they were kind of doing their due diligence a couple years ago on and if anything i mean i remember speaking to mike schilt our manager maybe a week before we got that first you know 
message in the locker room that there's this, you know, weird virus over in, in China that, you know, we need to start washing our hands and, and be concerned about, but that, you know, the foreign substance issue was going to be looked at by major league baseball a lot more seriously. And that, you know, they were doing their data collection and, and, you know, be aware that this is coming. And then obviously, you know, what a, a wild year and a half or whatever it's been. And you can see how it gets put on the back burner and, and we maybe kind of lose sight of it. And then, you know, whether it was the Joe West incident, whether it's something players have said in the media, whether it was just the fans starting to acknowledge, you know, what was going on and it, it being a, a bad look for all of us, we're, we're here. And, you know, the unfortunate, you know, sequence of events just led us to this and it's the reality we have. Yeah, you're exactly right. The original plan was um, collect all those baseballs, collect the video evidence, do that last year, 2020, and then do something about it this year. Um, I understand that the season last year was not as long as a normal season. I understand that there were challenges in terms of doing anything um, last year and even heading into this year. But it was clear at the end of last season as abbreviated as it may have been, that this was a priority for Major League Baseball. I, I guess I just don't understand why there wasn't a much greater effort to do it the way you've described it over the past offseason. Now, I, I should also ask you about this. Uh, I mean, if you ask the people at MLB privately, they've complained that the, the union when it when they attempted to engage the union didn't respond um was, was that because half the union is pitchers and half the union is hitters and so it's hard for the union to take a collective position uh i mean i can't say that it would be easy for us to come to some sort of agreement we can give you you know in 24 hours or in a week we can tell you <laughs> okay this is what we think is the way it should go but i think that's also a mischaracterization of what happened as well I, the reality is in season, it just, we, we weren't going to be able to work on anything, you know, with the league offices to get anything done. And I think that's reality, but I think to, to characterize that as, you know, the union didn't work with MLB is, uh, is, you know, just false in my opinion. And um, I understand why things happen the way they did, but I also, you know, we didn't have really any input. I mean, I, I, I could go back and, you know, look and see, you know, what our conversations were. But the reality is, you know, basically our input was that you're not going to be able to change anything. There's a rule in the books. That's what we're going to enforce. So where where do we step in? Well, you know, we'd like to maybe address that rule. Well, that's not possible midseason. So now you're at a roadblock and, you know, I, it is what it is. You know, I, I think we've been in a reactionary mode the whole time, which kind of has been challenging in the sense of, you know, we're all awaiting memos to come out where we're, you know, the, the umpires and the players are checking Twitter to see what the latest is, you know, breaking news <laughs> on what the memo is going to say that we don't have in our hands yet. And that's frustrating, but it is what it is. And I think so far we've done a good job of handling it. Uh, I do think that it, it could be handled a little bit more discreetly. It's not good for us to have this be the discussion, I'd rather be talking about the amazing feats of the players on the field or the, the races that are going on or whatever it is as opposed to, you know, foreign substance checks and spin rates. But here we are, and I think that, you know, hopefully this is something that we get more efficient and maybe we can kind of ease off of as the players, you know, if, as we get through a couple weeks of this, hopefully. 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. All right, one more thing on this, and we will move on. Um, all right, I'm going to appoint you king of baseball. <laughs> okay, you can you can fix this long term. Let's look over the horizon. What is the long term solution that King Andrew Miller would impose? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, I I think that ultimately we, you know. You're going to hear this, and I don't want to turn this into a debate about, you know, the collective bargaining that's coming up, whatnot. But I think competition is what it's about. I think players go out there and compete every night in a long, you know, hard. It's it's hot out. I mean, St. Louis is unbearably humid and hot right now. <laughs> but we compete every night, and I think we want fans to have the feeling that their team is competing every season to go out and win a World Series to put their best product on the field. And we want that competition to be as balanced as possible. You know, we talked about batting averages maybe going up. I think that, you know, the game certainly changes and evolves. There's been changes in the past. Uh, I think discussing things like banning the shift are, are absolutely healthy and how we get to putting the most exciting, you know, product on the field. I, I think that we're, as players, always compared to our peers. So, you know, batting averages go up. All right, maybe your ERA is higher, your opponent batting average is higher, but pitchers are still compared to other pitchers. So it, it's not really problematic from a, you know, an, a potential earning standpoint or whatnot is always kind of one of the complaints. So I think you just force teams to go out there and put their best players on the field. We don't want to see, you know, a Chris Bryant 2.0, a guy that, you know, in, in hindsight, the team knows is, is capable of helping them win games, you know, in order to protect a year of service. We don't want to see that. We want to be able to tell all of our fans that, Hey, our team, our city is going for it. We're, we're trying to win and we want you to come out. We want to put the most, you know, fans in the seats as possible. And I, I think that there is some sort of addressing the balance between pitching and offense that, that has to happen over the, you know, everybody talks about the Bob Gibson years and, and lowering the mound, but, you know, maybe we're at one of those points. I, I don't know that it's a hundred percent what I would do, but certainly study things like I think, you know, whether it's getting infielders on the dirt or two on each side of the bag or something like that. I think that's something that could help as well. Yeah, we'll have all winter to talk about this fun stuff. <laughs> I can't wait. Let's let's just talk a little baseball. I, I know you've had a frustrating year personally. You had a blister on your toe. That doesn't sound like fun. What, what kind of issues did that? Pose? Well, it was interesting. So I it was reported as a blister on my right toe the whole time. It was a I had a bursa, which is basically to me it looked like a blood blister develop on the ball of my left foot. It happened in spring training. I kind of tried to pitch around it. You know, we, we tried various treatments and that type of thing. It came back in the season and the time in spring training that it popped up when we treated it, it then split open and it, it was kind of a whole mess. So I had to kind of regroup. Uh, we did get it sorted out. My foot's better. Um, trying to address the mechanical, you know, compensations I made because of it and I do feel like I'm in a good place. I'm getting better. It's, uh, you know, I, I certainly don't have the stuff that a lot of guys in the league have right now. You know, certainly the velocity is just so impressive that we see every night, but I think I can still be a, a good pitcher. And I, uh, I feel like I'm working my way in that direction. And, you know, we're kind of in the dog days right now. We're not playing as well as a team as we'd like, but uh, you know, I, I think that we've got a roster that's capable of playing much better. And I think I'm a part of that. Uh, you know, Andrew, I'll never forget watching you in that 2016 postseason, especially that ALCS against the Blue Jays. First two games of that series, you faced 12 hitters, and you struck out 10 of them. How would you describe that October and that zone you were in then? It was just so much fun. It was, uh, 
I got traded to Cleveland. Uh, I, w- I don't want to say against my will, but I really enjoyed my time in New York. And, uh, you know, it was kind of, I want to say caught off guard, but, you know, sent from New York to Cleveland. And I ended up just on this, you know, incredible team with, you know, an incredible group of guys that, you know, I'm still, you know, still close with. And, and I couldn't have, you know, in hindsight, asked for a, a better situation. And I think when you end up in a place like that, that's how you, you know, you, you perform your best. And, it was just such a fun group to be a part of. And we went on that run. I think we were the underdog everywhere we went and it just, uh, it clicked for a lot of us and just something I'll never forget. You know, I remember Terry Francona, uh, your manager in that postseason, talking about you in a way that it made me think you were a guy who changed relief pitching. Uh, you know, we used to spend all our time measuring relievers by how many games they saved and you became the most important bullpen weapon in the sport, and you didn't even care when you pitched. So how, how were you able to, to, to find that mindset and break away from that traditional mindset that it was always about saves? Uh, I mean, I think for me it was, you know, personally pretty easy. I, I got to play with, you know, Batantis, who, you know, took the ball in the seventh and, and finished the eighth. Uh, you know, gosh, Daniel Bard, when I got to Boston, my former college teammate was – you know, I think respected as as good of a reliever as there was in baseball. And he wasn't, you know, collecting saves. Uh, my time in Baltimore, you know, I got to look, you know, Darren O'Day was uh, a key part of that team. You know, Britain was closing the door, but Darren was, you know, throwing the eighth inning and, and getting, you know, we're human. We have egos. You want notoriety. You want to be rewarded for your success. And, you know, I saw, you know, those guys all get recognized for what they were doing, how they were contributing to their team and not necessarily be the closer. So I think uh, just fortunate to have good teammates and good examples around me. And, you know, the reality for me personally was, you know, by that stage of my career, I just wanted to win. I, you know, I, I've been very fortunate. The, the game's treated me great. I, I've, you know, been in all these great places, but there's nothing more rewarding than being on a good team and, and particularly winning playoff baseball games. And, uh, you know, whatever role that is, I'll be the bat boy on that team if I get to take part in it. And, you know, that that's that's where I want to be. And I think that's, you know, part of how we ended up in that. And, you know, Cody Allen was so good on that team and he would have done anything. Brian Shaw would have done anything. You know, I think that it just takes that buy-in from everybody and uh, it usually comes with good results. All right, Andrew, before I let you go, we need to play America's favorite game, Know Your Andrew Miller Trivia. <laughs> These are these are multiple choice questions. I am sure you'll nail them. So are you ready to play the game? I guess so. <laughs> a little nervous, yeah. You're, no, you're, you're going to be good at this. All right. Uh, since you became a full-time reliever in 2012, only five left-handed relievers have pitched in more regular season games than you have. Who is first on the list? Is it A, Araldus Chapman? B, Tony Watson, or C, Oliver Perez? I mean, Chapman's been healthy. Uh, Tony Watson probably pitches more situational spots. I think Oliver Perez, he bounced around. I mean, he's definitely been around forever, but I think he missed some time. I'm going to go with Tony Watson. Absolutely correct. In fact, Tony Watson is way ahead uh, he's at 612, and none of the guys on that list were actually even second. Jake McGee is second, and he's almost 70 behind it's him. Full so, season, geez. 
Yeah, right? Uh, you, you're actually, like, it feels like you pitch all the time, and you're 120 <laughs> back of Tony Watson. So we, we've underappreciated Tony Watson's durability, I think. Moral of that story. All right, what, we got one more now. Uh, you were in the 2006 draft. You've appeared in more games than any other pitcher taken in that draft. Who is second? Is it A, Clayton Kershaw, the guy taken right behind you, B, Jeremy Jeffress, or C, Adam Ottavino? All right. So Ottavino is a reliever the majority of the time. Did he start at all in the beginning of his career? He's all, he's almost always relieved. Yeah. I mean, Kershaw has been incredibly durable, but he's a starter. I mean, that's only 35 appearances a year max. I'm going to go with Ottavino. See, you're good at this game. <laughs> that is absolutely right. Now, you're actually you're way ahead of him. You're at 588, and he's at 498. But Clay, look, Clayton's at 374, which is incredible. <laughs> but yeah. he, he is a starter, so... You went two for two right. in Know Your Andrew Miller Trivia. Uh, you'll get a lovely parting gift. I have no idea what that is. Thank you. <laughs> Angela, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, appreciate you enlightening us on so many aspects of the whole sticky stuff issue. And uh, thanks for joining our show with or without that Doug Glanville. Thanks for having me. I hope I uh, cleared some things up and uh, you know I had a great time. So I appreciate it. Yeah, you always do, man. Thanks so much. Thank you. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? (laughs) You mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB show. Okay, it's that time again. It is time for listener trivia, our way of involving you, our favorite listeners in the show. And week after week, we continue to literally involve you. We pick one of your trivia questions. We invite you to join us on this very podcast live to stump us with your trivia questions. 
It works every darn time. We'll tell you how you can do that in just a few minutes. But Doug, we've got a cool little twist on the trivia this week. And by that, I mean, it's a Doug Glanville trivia question. So I'm just going to get out of your way. We're like, we'll let you determine whether we get this right and break our two-month trivia losing streak. Or if you get it wrong, I can just blame you. <laughs> okay, I like this. I should have thought of this weeks ago. Yeah, well, you know my track record on myself. It's uh, it's actually a lower percentage chance of us getting this right uh, for the blind spot. But um, yeah, let's. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for this one. I'm ready. I'm ready to dive right in. All right, beautiful. I can't wait to see how this goes. So let's invite in this week's trivia guest star. It's Scott Blaine. Uh, his Twitter handle is yeah. Rehash Draftcast. Hey, Scott, welcome to Starkville. What's up, Jason? How is everybody? We are good. All right, We're man. happy to have you here. I can see from your Twitter bio that you're from Philadelphia, so you're obviously familiar with the exploits of my friend Doug Glanville. Is there any chance you have a favorite <laughs> Doug Glanville moment or story? Well, yeah. I can say, and and uh, you know, no offense, Doug, but the the first thing I have to say is that, and you talked about a, a little bit on your last podcast of when you actually got traded to the Phillies in '97. Unfortunately, Mickey Morandini was my favorite ball player of all time, Doug. So it didn't. It was not a great start for you. I mean, I'm looking at my English bulldog now, whose name is Mickey Morandini. I mean, oh my it just, goodness, could not have started any worse for you. But you turned it around. Um, you were a good ball player on a, on a somewhat unremarkable set of Phillies teams in the late '90s. The the Tito Francona era. But I do recall when you when you got your 200th hit, which was actually cool, and you mentioned it last time, was against the Cubs. Um, but learning that that hadn't been done since, I think it was, what, 1979 or something was the last time a Philly had collected 200 hits. So that kind of it, it filled me with a little sense of pride back when there wasn't a lot to be proud about watching the Phillies. <laughs> so that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. But you, 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 I mean, you ended up no, being a fantastic player for the Phillies, and it's, uh, it's, a, it's an honor to get to talk to you, man, really. Yeah, man. No, I appreciate that, Scott. I mean, I, uh, you know, those are milestone memories. And as you know, I went to college in Philadelphia and I grew, grew up a Phillies fan. So when I got traded, obviously you knew that wasn't my choice uh, per se. No, no, no. But um, it kind of it made me see that there was an opportunity to be a starter. You know, I was in Chicago and they kind of saw me as a fourth outfielder sort of. And, you know, I thought that center field was a chance that I could play every day because I didn't need the power numbers. And it was kind of good to come in a team that was trying to grow because I'd play winter ball. And, you know, I was on the after I got to trade it, I was on the cusp of full seasons going to winter ball to Puerto Rico, Arizona Fall League. I'd played almost like four straight years. And um, and Philly was sort of the chance to say, OK, you're you're a starter. And it was kind of, you know, it was a homecoming in a lot of ways. So it was a good experience and uh but yeah we didn't we didn't win a lot but <laughs> wish wish we'd done better because you know I, nothing would have been better raising the banner of your childhood team man you know what i was wondering i wonder if there are any anybody out there has a dog named doug glanville well we hear yeah. about is a dog named mickey morandini scott we we've reached the point in these proceedings where i'm just going to get out of the way and let you and glanville go at it so scott it's time to hit Doug Glanville with this week's Doug Glanville trivia question. All right, let's get at it. Uh, so, Doug, you probably know this all too well. June 3rd was 
the 30th anniversary of you getting drafted by the Chicago Cubs. So you were selected 12th overall by the Cubs in 1991. Only two of the 11 players drafted before you have a higher career baseball reference war. Do you know what your war is currently? I think you mm-hmm. talked about it last time. 10.9? Uh, it's like 10, 10 point, is it call, 9, call, 2, 10 call, point, yes. somewhere? Yeah. Okay. Called 11. Yeah, somewhere in there. Can okay. you name... All right, we'll take 10.9. I like that better. <laughs> one of these guys, I don't think anybody could get. One of these guys, I think you can, you being in that draft. You can talk it over with Jason, but if you get both, you'll get extra credit. But I think you guys need a win. I think you can get this one. Now, he's not talking it over with me. He's totally on his own with this one. Yeah. All right. Well, can I have a little fun and kind of go through the draft? Because... You know, remember when you get drafted, it's like a class. It really is almost like your graduation right. class. And you, you get to know these players. Now, keep in mind, your agent is also paying attention. <laughs> so your first round is like all woven into like, what are you going to get paid? And and uh, I think it was tough when I got drafted. It told The Cubs told me, you know, oh, you know, told the world like how smart they were. They picked me. It was this, I was a great player. And then when I tried to, when negotiating time came, they told me how terrible I was. <laughs> right? so, so that was a lesson as a 20 year old, like, wow, this, this is business 101. Uh, you know, so that was, uh, that was tricky. But, uh, but you do intimately get involved. And then the coming weeks, you're kind of getting these sense of where you're going to get drafted. You're like, oh, the Astros like you and all that. So you start to remember the teams in front of you. And of course, from vengeance standpoint, you want to beat up on all the teams that passed on you, right? So these are all motivated. So so let me run through the list. So if I think, I think I remember it pretty well. Number one was Brian Taylor, left-handed right. pitcher, Yankees, blew out his arm in a fight, unfortunately, and had a really Zero. tough time it afterward. Wasn't he. So, I, so wasn't him? Okay. Zero well, wins every Yeah. <laughs> right. So we had zero. Right. So two, him. I think, was now two was personal because Mike Kelly at Arizona State. Mm-hmm. He we played against him in college. He destroyed us. He was like a legendary college player. And when I got drafted, the Cubs told me that, you know, the reason why I'm not going to get Mike Kelly money is because I'll never have as many RBIs as he will have, or something like that. So that was kind of a slap in the face. So that's not him. Three was the Stanford guy, uh, McCarthy, McCarty, some McCarty, the guy you ended yeah. up pitching. So I don't think it's, it wasn't him. Four is Dimitri Young, who I think is actually an answer. Okay. Five is, huh? I think, Burke, the pitcher of Florida, maybe, or something. He might have been five yep. or six. I know uh, Joe Vitiello is like seven. He didn't mm-hmm. get there. Kenny Henderson, he didn't really get there. Went to Miami. Uh, Mark Smith is nine. 10, 11, 12 is like either Joey Hamilton, Sean Estes, Tyler Green, yep. and then me. I think that's right. So it's something yep. like that. So so my answers would be this. Dimitri Young, absolutely. And then it's one of those pitchers. I, I think Tyler Green got hurt too much. I played with him, so I'm not gonna I'm gonna scratch him. The other guys didn't really even make it hardly. So you have Joey Hamilton and Sean Estes. Estes Played a long time, but I think he was kind of a reliever, kind of so-so starter. Joey Hamilton didn't play as long, but he was really good. He got like a lot of innings. Okay, so that's my complete logic. So I'm going to say my answers are Dimitri Young and Joey Hamilton. All right, Scott, is there any chance that Doug has gotten this right? You guys are back, baby. Doug got it right. You got both. Oh, there we go. I'll tell you hey. how good how good he was was he almost tripped up on Sean Estes who was right behind him with ten point four. 
Sean Estes was would have been, you know, yeah. the next closest. But yeah, Dimitri Young and, and Joey Hamilton. I thought there's no way you're going to get Joey Hamilton. All right, so, so here's here's my takeaway. We don't need a devious cheating scheme. We just need me to stay out of this entirely. And then we need to make sure <laughs> that the trivia guest star just asks Doug questions about himself. Doug, that worked well. That really worked was, well. That so was it. Way to break our well. losing streak. All right. All right. We get some. Yes. Didn't have to cheat on myself. I like it. It works. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, listen, we got We're going to move along here. If Thanks, you listen man. regularly, you know, the whether we get the question right or wrong, we still bring in Tim McMaster, the mayor of Starkville, to cap off our segment with some great play by play clip of one of the trivia answers. So let's bring in Mayor Tim. Let's hear what he's got for us today, Doug. All right, guys, we're going to go back to April 4th, 2005, home opener for the Detroit Tigers and a day when Dimitri Young added a lot to his career war. That ball is belted in the air, deep right center field, way back, way back, and that ball is gone. He's got the flip down. High drive in the deep right. The crowd to its feet, stares back, it's gone. Yes, sir. Dimitri Young, three home runs on opening day. How many did you hit on opening day, Wow. Uh, I hit one off of Ryan Dempster one time. I do remember okay, that. There you That's go. about all I remember. <laughs> all right. Well, you're, we're going with that. Uh, look, as I say every week, I love this part of the show where we play the trivia highlights. They do exactly what they're intended to do. They allow people to forget whether we got the question right or wrong. And that part is working better than... Glenville's devious cheating scheme ever used to work. So, Mr. Mayor, thank you very much. Great clip. Scott, thanks for joining us here on Starkville. What a fun question. Thank you so much, man. It's been an honor. Okay, Doug, it's time for one of our favorite parts of this show. It is the Strange But True. Strange But True. And, Doug, we had one of the strangest but truest games of the year last week. Uh, this was Wednesday in Anaheim, Giants versus Angels. And uh, let me just run through three things I found particularly wild about it. Okay, first, it was the first game ever played in the history of the DH era. It's almost a half a century, you know, in which a National League team was the visiting team and used a DH but an American League team was the home team and said, no, thanks, we're good. <laughs> and that's because they had Shohei Otani. He could handle it. All right, so already before they even threw a pitch, this game had Starkville Podcast written all over it. Uh, all right, second thing. Now, Otani comes out of the game after pitching six innings, but the game then goes 13. So what does this mean? It means Joe Madden has to manage, do stuff unlike any American League manager has ever done in my memory. Okay, so he ran 10 different players through the number two hole. That's where Otani was originally. Uh, one of his pitchers, Griffin Canning, he roamed around the outfield for two innings in this game and he didn't even pitch it. Okay, so I'll ask you about that stuff in a minute. But third, 
The Giants' big offensive hero of the game was Mike Talkman. And the reason that's right up our alley is he spent almost five hours in this game without making any contact. Okay. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's 0 for 5 with five strikeouts. And he comes up in the 13th inning, and this happened. That ball is smoked. Right center field. Adios, Pelota. When you do, you do. A three-run homer for Talkman. The Giants have scored seven runs on two hits in this inning. John Miller waited five hours to say adios, Pelota. Good. All right, so he had the platinum sombrero. He was one strike away from... What whatever 0 for 6 with 6 whiffs is, and he hits that home run. Diamond. It's the what? The platinum diamond? There's maybe diamond, diamond or, or tungsten. It's got to be some, yeah, something <laughs> rare, you know, neon. I don't know what's, <laughs> I don't know what's happening after platinum, but whatever. Uh, the only other player who'd ever gone 0 for 5 with 5 strikeouts and then into homer was Ray Langford a really long time ago. Ugh. But let me, let me, yeah, yeah, let me circle back to all that Furious Joe Madden managing. Now, how many times, Doug, do you think any American League team in the DH era has run 10 <laughs> different players through any lineup spot in a home game? <laughs> uh, it has to be zero. I mean, 10 different players. <laughs> yeah, that never happened. Has that ever happened before? No, Impossible. Of course it's It really not. happens in a National League game. Yeah, right. Exactly right. So, there I had to go through a, a million games. It took me way too long to figure that out, but whatever. It was fun when I got to the end. Uh, but here's my question to you. is uh, a guy who played uh, in the major leagues for a long time. What's the strangest but truest extra inning game that you've ever played in? Well, you know, the one, the one that comes to mind is a game I think you might have asked me something for your either the wild pitches column, I'm not sure. <laughs> and uh, I know that, it was long because yeah. the extra innings, there was a lot of zeros put up, and I kept saying the zero was like another sun rising because everybody at that point was delirious and ready to go to bed. <laughs> so, um, But it was Phillies Padres, I want to say in San Diego, and you know I think it was 15 innings yeah. or somewhere in that ballpark. And I don't know if I played in anything longer than that, but it was kind of a wacky game. And, and uh, I mean, I think we figured out that we might have actually won the game. I thought we lost because we lost so many, and... But uh, I conflated a couple of games, but yeah, that was you know, you know, West Coast late. You know, we're at, we're double delirious at this point because the time zone is is crushing us as an East Coast team. So, to yeah. us, it was like five in the morning. Who knows? But somehow we we pulled it off. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you hit a you you guys did win this game in sixteen innings. Uh, you hit a leadoff homer in the game, and then. I, I remember that part, but the part where you actually win the game in the 16th at three o'clock in the morning <laughs> in the East, that part's a little vague to me. I just know that uh, the losing pitcher was Bobby Jones for the Padres. And the reason I remember is he relieved the other Bobby Jones. <laughs> like, yeah. If you thought you were delirious that there were Bobby Jones relieving Bobby Jones in the game, I think that would explain it. Well, I'll tell you, the the fun fact of that is I actually managed, I only hit 59 home runs. It should have been 60 because of a scoring mistake, but that's all right. I only hit 59 home runs. I hit one off of Bobby Jones, 
and another off of Bobby Jones, the other Bobby Jones. So I can say that I'm one of the rare hitters that have had a home run <laughs> off of both Bobby Joneses. The other claim to fame due to my wow. prowess, I'm very, I was very specific on my home runs. Didn't hit a lot of them, but I tried to make them all majestic. So I had some off Schilling, I had Randy Johnson, Tom Glavin. These are, these are good, right? And then I uh, also, in this game, yeah. hit a home run that caused a fire. Okay, so that to me is showing legendary skills at hitting the most exciting home runs that you can imagine when you only hit one a year, pretty much. So I, I did start a fire, and uh, I think we need to find somewhere. I, okay, I'm gonna have to ask yeah. you what the fire was. Like you know, like isn't that like isn't that what they ask you when they pull you over for speeding? Where's the Where's fire? The fi- where there's smoke, there is fire. <laughs> What's the deal? And there was smoke. Well, this is what I'm assuming yeah. because of the smoke. So Oliver Perez is pitching, and he was a young guy. I think he's still out there, so I feel pretty good. I hit a home run. They have these palm trees at what was Jack Murphy Qualcomm right behind the fence between the, the upper and the mezzanine level. Right. They have spotlights on them that are shining to make them look cool. Well, I hit a ball that broke the spotlight, right. and then it lit, and some spark flew, hit the palm tree, and it started to smoke. And so... Yeah, that was really interesting. I don't think the fire department came, but it was a little alarming. So uh, I, I need to find the video because, you know, make sure my memory is right. But I do recall starting a palm tree fire with a majestic home run that only the natural. I remember this too. I bet I, inter- I think I interviewed you about this one too. Yeah. I, I remember that Yeah, one. so, you know, only the. I don't know what, what, it, what it was. Movie, movie level, man. The natural had nothing on that. Although it wasn't exactly like a game winning yeah. World Series home run. It was some random game in whatever month you, that it was. You in. And- yeah, you in San Diego. Stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, all right, that's going to do it for another spectacular edition of Starkville. You can find us every Tuesday right here in our new home as part of the Athletic Baseball Show. You know, every Monday you get Ken Rosenthal's Mailbag, Thursdays Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby, Fridays Keith Law and Derek Van Riper. All these shows are great. Please check them out. So, Doug, thanks for playing. Thanks to Andrew Miller for enlightening us. Thanks to Scott Blaine for the fun Glanville trivia question. Thanks to our mayor, Tim McMaster, for producing us and putting up with us. And thanks to you all for listening. Coming up Thursday on the Athletic Baseball Show, it's Hunter Pence and Grant Prisby. Doug and I will see you next Tuesday on Starkville. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.